Recovery Elevator Episode 83 Prologue. After recording this episode, I told a friend I wasn't quite happy with it and that I planned to go in on Sunday and record some other parts. My friend asked me, well, what's the podcast about? I said, lowering the bar. The person I told this to had a perplexed look on their face. They said, well, that's ironic, Paul. You have a podcast episode about lowering the bar, being okay with the way things are. Yet, you want to go back and re-record some things? Think about that for a second. So, I didn't. I realized she was right. I did not come in and re-record the episode, and that's okay. I still hope you enjoy it. The episode is not perfect. There are things left out. But that is okay. Here we go. Recovery Elevator, episode 83. You know, I even got down to O'Doul's. Anything that I could uh, do to convince myself that I was controlling my drinking. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul. Thank you so much for joining us. According to the Recovery Elevator sobriety tracker on my phone, I have been sober for two years and three days. We'll get to that milestone shortly, but on today's podcast, we've got Kendall. He's been sober for 130 days. He's from Kansas, and he describes this feeling of being sober 130 days as free. Maybe that's what Tom Petty was singing about. And if I could ask you for a quick favor, I want to find out who's listening. Percentage of male, percentage of female, basic demographics. So if you find this podcast helpful, go to recoveryelevator.com forward slash survey and fill out the survey. It takes, no joke, maybe 40 seconds. Yes, that is correct. Two years without a drink, over 730 days. If you're listening to this episode for a quick synopsis, a quick summary of how I did it, well, I can tell you how I didn't do it. I didn't do it alone. And if you do want to put the puzzle pieces together of how I did do it, there's 82 previous podcasts and the answer is right there. So I got to say thank you to all those who have helped me reach two years of sobriety. And for me, the two year mark is better than the one year mark. As I mentioned in episode 000, 5% of people who decide to quit drinking make it to 90 days. And then, at that 90-day mark, only 5% of people make it to two years. 5% of 5%, that's not a lot of people. The odds, they're not in our favor. And there were so many times when I wanted to quit. Yep, I wanted to quit quitting. Yeah, quite the pickle there, huh? I wanted to quit quitting drinking. But here I am at two years. I made it. And let me tell you, life is incredible at two years. I'm not depressed. I don't have anxiety anymore. I went from gluten intolerant to gluten tolerant. The temperature in two years has not dipped below 55 degrees in Bozeman, Montana. Oh yeah, in Third Eye Blind, they're coming to Bozeman, Montana, and they're playing a free concert. Life doesn't get any better than this. Okay, so you probably already know not everything you hear and read online is true. Most of those are not true. Life at two years sober is about 1,062% better than life 733 days ago. That is a fact. Anxiety, which I struggled with big time before I quit drinking, that has pretty much gone away. I've gone through some moments where I have recognized that the anxiety is not there. I've said to myself, wow, anxiety, thanks for not showing up to the party. It's great dealing with this life problem without you. Quitting drinking has gifted me that ability. Yep, I'm still gluten intolerant. There's been days where it's been incredibly cold in Montana, well below freezing. And third eye blind, I doubt they've even heard of Bozeman, Montana. So life, it's far from perfect. But I can tell you it's a hell of a lot better than it was when I was drinking. And in fact, let me talk to you about day 729 of sobriety, or the day before I reached two years without a drink. I had a near meltdown. The reason why? Expectations. 
of my life without alcohol, the feeling that I could do anything that I wanted to do if I put my mind to, it came back. Yeah, you remember the feeling when we were kids and life hadn't quite put us in our place yet? Or Jordan Thompson on the playground said, you're not going to make the NFL, Paul Churchill? Yeah, that time in your life when you could do anything you wanted to do. Well, that feeling came back in sobriety. That feeling is still here in sobriety, which is an incredible feeling. However, the bar of expectations for myself that I, only me, had put into place had slowly risen day after day after day. Oh, one day at a time, I just put that bar a little bit higher, so high that it was impossible for me to achieve that bar. Day one of sobriety, the bar was set to tying my shoes and walking out the front door. Yeah, nailed that one. I was happy. Day 730 in sobriety, according to bar of expectations that I had set, I should have been captaining a spaceship traveling at the speed of light that I invented. But on day 730, I woke up. My mind was much clearer. I realized I needed to get real with myself. I needed to be kind to myself, be patient with myself. Sure, I can set grand and lofty goals. I'm not saying I need to stop doing that, but I need to get realistic with myself. Two years, that's not a long time. I spent about 10 years in a gradual decline in physical, mental, and a spiritual status for my health. It's not going to come back in two years. Hell, I'm glad it's not back in two years because I still have so much more to go. And another contributing factor of that meltdown on day 729 was self-loathing. I used to beat myself up big time when I was drinking. And I found myself doing that more and more the longer I got from my last drink. I think about five to ten podcasts ago, I mentioned I was struggling. Felt like it's been me versus the universe professionally for about a year. Well, when you set the bar of expectations that high, it is you versus the universe, Paul. But the feeling that I can do anything that I put my mind to, again, it's an incredible feeling, but it backfired on me just a wee little bit. I'm an entrepreneur that doesn't know when to say no. And in a meeting the other day, I wrote 24 names on a whiteboard. 24 people received a paycheck in the last two weeks. Holy buckets. Two years ago, well, about a year and a half ago, that number was zero. Zero to 24 employees. How the hell did that happen? Well, I thought I could do anything that I put my mind to. Thank you, sobriety. The bar got raised so high that there was no way I was going to be able to manage that, to control that. And that's what I've been struggling with. And it was my brother when I reached out to guidance for him. He said, yeah, you're struggling, but you're evolving and you're growing. And wait a second, I was so far out of my comfort zone, it felt extremely uncomfortable. But that, again, is where the growth happens. Episode 000, draw a circle, draw a dot in the middle. You are the dot in the middle. Draw a dot way outside the circle. That is you outside of your comfort zone, and that is where I have been for the last year and a half, professionally, mentally, spiritually, and physically, and it's painful, but that's where the growth happens, and it doesn't have to be this painful because I set the bar so high. So, Recovery Elevator, I'm lowering the bar. I'm going to stop beating myself up. I'm going to slow down. I'm going to take the time to observe the accomplishments that I've done. I've been sober for two years. It doesn't matter if I haven't invented a spaceship that travels at the speed of light. And I implemented this new theory this morning at the recovery elevator meeting at 7 a.m. When we got there, Ty pulled out her notebook and was ready for me to just overwhelm everybody with ideas and direction and things like that. But we talked and I said, thank you guys for helping me get here. Thank you for dealing with me at times. I understand I have been a ball of stress and difficult to be around at times. 
We talked about how cool it has been that we're all three still sober. Ty, Kelly, and I. Kelly over two years. Me at two years. Ty almost to ten. We didn't raise the bar or add any new tasks. And then after the meeting, I went on a run with my dog, Ben. My sweatshirt says, just do it. Well, I just did it, but slow. I ran three miles at about 14 minutes each. The sun was coming up over the hills. Beautiful sunrise. And I enjoyed the moment. So here I am at two years. What's my plan moving forward? Well, I'm not going to change a darn thing. I think around episode 20 or 25 in that area, I interviewed a gentleman from the Smart Recovery Program who said, if your program tells you to live one day at a time, find a new program. I was like, boom, I can't wait till I get to that point. Well, I'm at two years without a drink. I'm not sure if I'm at that point or ever want to get at that point because one day at a time, I've applied that principle to everything now. The way I eat, the way I exercise, the way I engage with other people. A lot of these habits, they're built one day at a time. And thinking about something that's 35 days away from now, well, that doesn't help anything. So again, thank you very much, Recovery Elevator, to all you guys out there who sent emails. Cafe RE, I could not have done this without you guys. Thank you very much, Molly and Perry and Mark Churchill. I could not have done it without you guys. Before we hear from Kendall, let's hear from Cafe RE. Before I got sober, I felt alone. It felt like I was the only one in the whole world who found it extremely difficult to stop drinking once I had started. With Cafe RE, I now know I'm not alone. In fact, there are so many people all around this world just like me. In Cafe RE, for $12 a month, I get access to a private, unsearchable Facebook group where I can connect with other like-minded individuals, meet with them face-to-face in several weekly live webinars and meetings, I can get paired with an accountability partner who has a similar sobriety date as mine, I can attend in-person meetups and attend exclusive sober trips to places like Costa Rica. If there's one thing I've learned in sobriety, it's that I can't do this alone. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code ELEVATOR for your first month free. Again, use the promo code ELEVATOR when signing up for your first month free. Kendall, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for joining us. Kendall, let's get right into it. How long have you been sober? 130 days. Nice job, Kendall. Yeah, how's that feel? Oh, it feels great. I'm, I'm free. It's uh, I don't have to carry the weight of being drunk or flying. Yeah, free is a great word to describe it. And Kendall, give listeners a little background about yourself. Maybe where you're from, what you do for a living, how old are you, are you married, and uh, what do you like to do for fun, Kendall? Well, I'm from Lawrence, Kansas, born and raised, and then I moved here to Montana just about five years ago. I'm a professional painter, and that skill has kept me going even here in Montana. I'm still painting and in my free time, I like to uh, get to the mountains and mountain bike ride. There you go. What's your favorite trail up in Montana? As of now, it's Mystic Lake Trail up Sourdough Canyon. That place is beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And Kendall, talk to me about 130 days ago. What made you decide to quit drinking? And was that the first time you tried to stop? It was not the first time I tried to stop. After getting to the rooms and hearing you know, the message and being in a room full of people that spoke my language, on October 8, 2015, you know, is when I surrendered to alcohol. It was my best friend's anniversary date when alcohol had taken his life. And um, I had decided maybe I wanted it to take my life as well. But instead, I remembered the rooms, the message, and I went back and I haven't had a drink since. Wow. 
That is awesome. So October 8th, 2015, that was an anniversary for a friend of yours death. Is that what you said? Yes, sir. I'm sorry to hear about drunk that. Was that alcohol related? Yes, it was. It was a drunk driving accident, you know, ATV. He was a pretty careful person and uh, he put his seatbelt on it. My, the driver didn't and they hit a barbed uh, wire fence. The ATV flipped. The driver was just thrown from the ATV and my buddy, his seatbelt did its job. He kept him in his seat. And wow. Yeah. And so if my math is correct, 130 days ago is not quite October 8th. So did you try to quit drinking October 8th and then, you know, went to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, but then something stuck 180 days ago or 130 days ago? I had, uh, I have not had a drink since October 8th, 2015. I did attend another funeral of a fellow in the rooms who took his life to this disease and decided to smoke a bowl after that. So... Oh, my gotcha. view on, yeah, complete abstinence. I had to reset my day for that. You know what? I have a lot of respect for that because when I was a, a dry drunk for two and a half years from 2010 to 2012, I didn't quite understand what sobriety meant. And, you know, ever yeah. so often, like, uh, you know, marijuana would be passed around like once or twice. But, yeah, I mean, sobriety is just straight up nothing. And are you mm -hmm. coming to terms with that? I have come to terms with that. It was something I kept from my sponsor and the fellows in the rooms, but you know, it's uh, like, like the word we used at the beginning, free, free. Absolutely. And Kendall, talk to me about your drinking habits. How much did you drink before uh, October 8th, 2015? I would drink at least a 12 pack, if not more. I would start in the morning just to calm my nerves and get the jitters out of the way. And then um, I would hold tight through work. And then the moment I would get off work, that's when the, uh, the fun began and it really was by myself in an apartment and then um even being with the spouse after she knew that i was drinking you know i would try to hide the alcohol you know i even got down to oduls anything that i could uh, do to convince myself that i was controlling my uh, drinking yeah and talk to me more about those convincing yourself times that you weren't an alcoholic you said you went to oduls any other rules and things like that that you tried to in place yeah, no hard, no hard alcohol. I wanted to stay constant drunk, but the hard alcohol did, did the job quicker. So <laughs> yeah, oops. Yeah, yeah, oops. It went from a twelve pack of you know some normal beer to maybe a six pack of some good good beer, and then staying off the hard stuff, and then yeah, just oh duels, anything to just keep it going, but to maintain sanity. Yep, to keep it going. You try not to overshoot the mark, but that's what we're all sure. pretty good at doing is overshooting the mark. And so if I hear you correctly, you're a professional painter. You'd wake up, crack a beer, maybe not right when the right when you wake up, but you know, maintain right. throughout the day. And so you're painting and you're drinking beer. That sounds exhausting. You know, kinda like you said, yeah. you're free now. And is that what you're doing? You're just painting, you know, drinking beer all day? At that it got to a point where, yeah, the beer trickled um, from drinking some in the morning to actually drinking on the job. And it was anything to just keep the jitters down, anything to keep my mind on alcohol. It drove me crazy to be away from it. It was my solution to the, any problem. There. Now, prior yeah, to your problem. friend's anniversary to his death, were there any indications that you're like, wait a second, maybe I have a drinking problem? Definitely, definitely. The moment I uh, 
since I live in Montana, I get to go see my family once a year for Christmas. That's mm -hmm. what I do for myself and them. And, you know, having to drink to show up to events, having to drink to show up to Christmas Eve dinner, and then being dismissed from the table due to my habit, that was that was pretty scary, you know. And then that's when the family and even friends began to speak some concern that day. Yeah, absolutely. Be in the room with us. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Now, how did you do it, Kendall? I'm curious. You've got 130 days. How'd you do it? I uh, utilize the rooms of AA. These people speak my language, and they have a solution. It really, uh, my feet really hit the ground when I got a sponsor, a home group, and started to do some service, but at the same time working the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Kendall, I know what you mean when you say they spoke my language, but what does that mean, and can you explain that to listeners? Uh, when I say they spoke my language, you know, they have gone through the same struggles that I had gone through. Listening to a room of people talk about how they try to control their drinking, maybe go to old duels or whatever it may be. We spoke how alcohol was the solution to our problems, but really alcohol was just an underlying symptom. So we used that as, as a crutch and being able to put that crutch down and and actually go through life, and wanting to go through life, having the willingness to, to you know, to keep coming back. And it really, it works if you work it. I think myself and everyone in those rooms are a perfect example of, uh, of that. Absolutely. And, and what I've said it before in this podcast is alcoholism, the alcohol, the drinking problem, it's a communal disease. And you meet somebody else who also shares this communal disease with you, and there's this bond. I know exactly what you mean. When I first went into those rooms, I was like, wow, why did I wait uh -huh. so freaking long to get here? And Kendall, you said drinking is but a symptom. When I first heard that, I was like, what in the hell is does that mean? Can you explain right. a little bit more about that? Yeah. You know, deep down, you know, internally, I knew that I wanted a solution. I needed an answer. And I always just turned to alcohol because that would numb my emotions. It would be able to let me check out from reality when really I needed to check into reality, into myself, and find the real answers rather than just through the bottle. Wow, check out from reality, but really you need to check into reality. I love that. And so what was it like your first 24 hours, 72 hours, first week, first month without alcohol? Oh, boy, was that something else. It was... Uh, <laughs> yeah, it sucked. I, I didn't like it either. Yeah, it was. It was a, it was a struggle. You know, my, my brain was pretty much hardwired to, to continually drink to uh, solve issues through the bottle. But really, the moment I put the bottle down, my mind didn't stop. It still wanted to go. It still wanted to uh, obsess over anything. And I was pretty irritable, restless, and discontent. So I was able to really start to understand that, you know, the people in the world aren't the, weren't the problem, but that I was. Yeah, actually, tell me more about that. The people in the world aren't the problem. I always played the victim. And thank you for asking that, Paul. It's, you know, I always played the victim. I always thought, you know, that the world was out to get me and everything that went wrong in the world was uh, directed towards me. You know, it was all me, 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 selfish and self-centered. That was definitely me. Wow. Yeah. One thing I heard in the rooms was somebody was like, Oh, this is happening to me. This and that this happened to me. And then they switched it. They're like, you know what? Things aren't happening to me. They're just happening. And then I choose how I deal with it. 
And it's fairly liberating when you can actually look at your problem, like my part of the problem, is, is instead of just always being the victim, right? How do you feel about that? I definitely agree. I definitely agree. The moment that you're able to accept that, you know, and I call that the humility, once you're able to accept some humility, which isn't a bad thing. Humility can be a good thing. Once you're able to really get to that point, that's when, uh, you know, the freedom does yeah. begin. People people like you better if you have humility. I found that yeah. out. <laughs> they do. Yeah. Yes, sir. They totally do. And so you're 130 days sober. What have you noticed has come back to you and kind of at what time frame? For example, like, oh, at, at seven days I was able to sleep. At 30 days I was able to think better. You know, what What is coming back to you in sobriety? Well, after even a couple of weeks, you know, the sky was bluer. You know, it felt like the clouds, the haze, the fog started to really dissipate and that I was able to, to see the world. Everything seemed to be a blur. I always thought I was missing out on things. So it was just 100 miles an hour. But now I'm able to just focus. And uh, after a month, I was really able to focus, eat and sleep. Just do the things that we need to do to take care of ourselves. So I'm not hungry, angry, lonely or tired. Now, the body physically heals first, and the healing process is in reverse order. And so it goes, basically it goes like spiritually, mentally, and then physically. And in a reverse mm -hmm. order, it's physically, mentally, and then spiritually in the healing process. Now, with 130 days, have you felt that you're, start to, you're starting to heal mentally and, and perhaps physically as well? Definitely. Definitely. Um, and I could agree that the mental came before the physical. And it is just crazy how I'm able to, to read a chapter or a page in the, out of the big book and actually be able to comprehend it. It's been quite a gift that's been given back to me. And Kendall, I got to give you props. A lot of people, they try everything out there, including listening to this podcast before they step a foot inside the AA rooms. It sounds like you walked in there. You're like, hey, you know, tap the shoulder. Hey, do you want to be my sponsor? And you dove right mm -hmm. into it. Was there was there any trepidation or hesitation before getting into AA? No, I was pretty much out. I had hit my rock bottom. I had seen alcohol take two friends and actually have gotten three DUIs. So I was pretty, you know, hopeless. You know, I hit my rock bottom and, you know, I wanted the solution. I wanted to change. I didn't I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yes, I love it. I hear that often on this podcast. I'm sick and tired of being sick or tired. I was right there too. And I got to the point mm -hmm. where I was ready to do anything required to stop drinking, including if my sponsor says, okay, jump in this icy water for 10 minutes. Yep. All right. Mm -hmm. I really don't want to drink again. I'm, I'm in. Yeah, and how has drinking impacted your relationships with, with people, your family and your friends? Do they know what's going on? Uh, they they knew what was going on. Even when I thought that I was invincible and hiding it from them, I, they knew exactly what was going on, and alcohol stood in the way of all that, you know, all the relationships I had. It was, it was my master. I put it before anything else. And how have the relationships changed in sobriety? Oh, boy. Everyone really enjoys my company again, I'm, and I'm able to be Kendall and be the Kendall that everyone knew that I could be when I put the bottle down. Kendall, what have you lost to alcohol? Uh, I would say I lost my job. I lost an education, an opportunity for an education. Not that I can't pursue it now, but, you know, education, family, friends, relationships. 
Yep. And and how old are you again? One more time, Kendall. Twenty eight years old. Twenty eight. Kendall, what would you say to the eighteen year old Kendall? I would tell the eighteen year old Kendall that what is popular is not always right, and what is right is not always popular. Hmm. I love it. I love it. I love it. And so what was your rock bottom moment if you could pinpoint it to just one thing? I lost my job drinking on the job and my boss kind of figured that what was what was happening. He wasn't on the job, but then he wanted to meet with me the next morning and I couldn't go that first hour of waking up without drinking to meet him. Yeah, I, I hear you. Um, I got a DUI while driving to work one time and unfortunately oh. I didn't get fired. It was, I think that would have been the tipping point on that. You know, it's like, oh, it's, it's their fault. They didn't fire me and, you know, it wasn't enough pain for me to quit drinking. But yeah, I was drinking like uh, two weeks later, unfortunately. And Kendall, in the last 130 days, have cravings come? And if they have, what do you do to get past them? Cravings have come, yes. And what I do is I'll pray. I will uh, and definitely utilize my sponsor, give him a call. And, you know, he's been there and done that, so... He usually has something for me to do. Um, one time I went to uh, the Walmart parking lot and I pushed carts um, back where they belonged without even trying to be noticed. I wasn't trying to get credit, just trying to do anything to get out of myself. That is a huge value bomb right there. You went to the Walmart parking lot and just started pushing carts back. Did I hear that right? Yes, sir. So to do service to get outside of yourself, this is an interesting concept. You were experiencing problems, and yet you got out of your head and helped somebody else, and then in return, you got past your cravings, right? Yes, sir. That is an amazing concept, and that is the beauty of the way recovery is structured. Kendall, the 130 days, I hope relapse does not become part of your story, but what are your thoughts on relapse? I just believe that it's a character-building process if we can make it back to the um, meetings and um, accept some degree of humility. And Kendall, with 130 days, what is your proudest moment in sobriety? Oh, boy. Just had an ability to be honest with myself. I wasn't able to do that until I uh, really, you know, gave in to my disease and started to go back to the rooms. But other than just being able to be honest with myself and others, it's, it's being able to celebrate other people's accomplishments at birthday meetings and uh, get to hear their experience, strength, and hope and and get some wisdom. Yeah, and, and can you think of specific examples where you're honest with yourself? And for example, for me, when I got sober, I knew I had to do something different and create this atmosphere or continue this atmosphere of honesty and accountability. And that's kind of why I started the podcast. It's just I had to do it to stay sober. Can you think of an example maybe where you've been honest to help you stay sober? I think what first comes to mind is sitting down in the rooms and saying that I'm Kendall and I'm an alcoholic. That was the beginning, but ever since then, it's just having the having the willingness to take the suggestions given to me from my sponsor and the people in the rooms. I, I just have a cleaner home. Even they told me that my load would be lighter, and literally, my laundry load got lighter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah, it's just some something powerful about it. it's so simple to sit in that chair and be like, "Yep, my name's Paul. I'm an alcoholic. What's up? <laughs> what you got now?" Yep. Nothing. Mm-hmm. I love it. It's great. And Kendall, what does your recovery portfolio consist of these days? Walk us through a day in the life of Kendall and how you stay sober. The moment I wake up, I get on my hands and knees and I uh, pray. 
I have gone through the big book and the 12 and 12, 12 steps and 12 traditions. So I usually have some daily readings that have been suggested by my sponsor to do. So for the first 30 minutes in my day, it's all towards AA before I even do anything else. And then um, normally going to work. During work, if I ever, you know, hit a snag or a little bump in the road, the serenity prayer has, uh, has really helped me. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. That can get me through the day. The moment I get off work, I go to a meeting, come home, cook a meal, and go to bed. I like to keep it simple. Keep it simple. It's amazing how that prayer, that simple four to five lines can get you through a lot of difficult situations. And Kendall, we have reached the rapid fire round. If you could answer these questions within 30 to 60 seconds, that'd be great. Are you ready? Yes, sir. Yeah, let's do this. Kendall, what was your worst memory from drinking? That Christmas dinner when I wasn't, when I wanted to see my family and be a part of, but I, I couldn't go without drinking and then getting dismissed from the table. Yeah, that's tough. Next question. We've all heard of the aha moment. Did you ever have an oh shit moment indicating maybe you couldn't control your drinking? It was it was definitely that morning when I needed to go meet my boss and it was just to the point where I had to drink and he smelled alcohol on my breath and, and I had to admit, yes, I drank before I came here. Hmm. And Kendall, what's your favorite resource in recovery? My sponsor. Great answer. And Kendall, what's your plan in sobriety moving forward? To serve others and keep going to meetings. To serve others, put the carts back in the cart bay at the, at the Walmart parking lot. I love that answer so much. I love it. I love it. love it. Next question. In regards to sobriety, what's the best advice you've ever received, Kendall? We say it after every prayer in the meetings. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. I agree 100%. And the, what parting piece of guidance can you give to the listeners who are thinking about quitting drinking? Keep your head out of the clouds and feet on the ground. Go to your local AA meeting and just keep coming back. It works if you work it. And Kendall, before we depart, give listeners your own customized you might be an alcoholic if line. Might be an alcoholic if you, after your third DUI and losing two best friends that you still don't think you have a problem with alcohol. Yeah, I think that uh, validates as a pretty damn good you might be an alcoholic gift line. Kendall, thank you so much for joining us, helping me stay sober and being part of my journey. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you. Before we depart, I've got a great life hack for you. If you don't know what a life hack is, it's something that makes your life a hell of a lot easier. You ready for it? You might need a pen and paper. Here it comes. You don't have to hang out with people you don't like. Yeah, seriously. You know the people that just get under your skin? that you have to drink around to simply tolerate them, well, you just don't have to hang out with them. I saw a meme of this on Facebook and cracked up so hard because it's so true. We often continuously put ourselves in these situations that cause us pain. And simply acknowledging the fact that you don't have to hang out with these people is a step in the right direction. All right, a little off topic there, guys. So recovery elevator. We took the elevator down. We got to take the stairs back up. We can do this. Oh, 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 oh,